Welcome to the podcast of Christ Church in Town in Jacksonville, Florida. We are seeking the renewal of all things in Jesus Christ. Towards that end, we are committed to cultivating personal transformation in Christ, an uncommon fellowship of racially and economically diverse individuals, and the flourishing of our neighbors. To join our local body in membership or financial support, visit ChristChurchInTown.org. This morning we are uh, continuing in a sermon series that we've been in for the past uh, few months in the book of Acts. We've called this series uh, Purpose and Power because what we've seen throughout the book of Acts is that to be a follower of Jesus uh, means more than just looking to Jesus for salvation. It means more than simply, although of course we do that, looking to Jesus uh, to go to heaven after our life on this earth closes. It means more than that. It actually fills our lives with a purpose and a power that give shape to how we spend our days, how we spend our money, how we uh, leverage our relationships. It knits us into a community of the church, not just uh, this church, but a church that goes back thousands of years and stretches around the world. And so our scripture text this morning is going to be Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Again, our reading this morning, Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 10. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And as they were going through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And they came up to Mysia, and they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is God's word. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. You can be seated. You know, uh, throughout the book of Acts, we've been talking a lot about the Christian mission and the ministry that God calls uh, his church to. And we'll continue to talk about that. Acts really is, uh, in so many ways, the unfolding story of God's mission through the first generation of Christian churches and missionaries. And today, you know, we've talked about Paul, the evangelist, preaching the gospel. We've seen Peter extending uh, and getting visions from God to extend the gospel out to the Gentiles. We've seen them uh, witness miracles. We've seen them wrestle with these big, remember last week we saw the first church council in Jerusalem. But today, we're going to talk about some of the underappreciated 
and easily ignored aspects of the Christian ministry and of Christian mission. Really, you know, this, uh, these verses that we looked at this morning, that we're reading this morning, uh, are really kind of connective tissue. Uh, it could have been said, you know, Luke could have only given these things a couple of sentences, right? Paul picks up Timothy, they go to Troas, they sail to Macedonia. That's, that's all that's happening uh, in these verses. We're about to see him enter into Philippi, and we'll pick back up with these incredible stories of evangelism and people coming to faith. But Christian mission uh, also consists in these small, out-of-the-way places, these uh, things that we don't often think of, not with the preachers or with the missionaries, the evangelists, but in things that are easy uh, sometimes to ignore. When we focus only on uh, missionaries and preachers and evangelists as the only people doing Christian mission, uh, it's easy to lose track of what matters in our own Lives. We can end up thinking that the Christian mission is only the calling of a few select gifted people. But the Christian mission is the call on the whole church, every single one of us, to bring the whole gospel to the whole world. In our culture, we like what's big and impressive and famous and gifted, right? Every pastor dreams of becoming a megachurch pastor, right? Some of you may dream of attending a megachurch. Right? We like what gets notoriety, what's famous, and yet these verses call us to attend to what's ordinary and overlooked, and that is where the kingdom moves forward in small, often imperceptible ways. The kingdom moves forward uh, in ways that some of us never even know. You can live in a church and not even be attentive or know all of the little ways that the kingdom's going forward. It's, uh, it's in the way, I remember uh, a little over, you know, a couple years ago, getting a phone call from a woman uh, in our church who'd suffered a miscarriage, had lost a child uh, to miscarriage, a couple weeks after that calling and saying, hey, uh, I just want you to know how well loved and cared for I was by a couple of other women in the church who I never knew had lost a child. And we'd like to come around other women who've done this. And so, you know, if, if you know of anybody and they don't mind you sharing uh, their name, please get us in touch. We want to care for these people who often suffer this grief alone. And that's just as beautiful and as significant and actually far more so than any sermon that could ever be preached or any of the things that gain attention in our ministry. Last week, I was able to gather uh, in New Orleans, a great city, put on about 15 pounds in three days, uh, went with Willie and Matt uh, for a gathering of about 200 people, uh, most of them pastors, some of, my favorite, some of my favorite people in the world, actually, some fellow Presbyterian pastors uh, from places as far away as San Diego and uh, missionaries to China and just all over the place. It was a gathering. We, we try to get together once a year. We hadn't been able to get together last year due to COVID. And uh, it was just so encouraging and cathartic to be with these uh, other pastors, to hear about what God's doing around the world. But you know what it made me uh, think of? It made me miss being with you, fine people. Oh, thank you. Uh, it made me realize, you know what? I love these other pastors, these other churches, these other ministries, but these are the people that I'm in it with. Right? These are the people that we're in the trenches with together. These are the people that I have been called by God into mission with in our little corner of his kingdom. And so it made me want to get back with you folks. 
Because this mission is our mission, yours as well as mine. And what we're going to see is that it's ultimately God's mission. We are partners with God in the mission of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at three disciplines of ordinary mission that are easy for us to overlook. And the first of these, the first of these overlooked disciplines is the discipline of loving children. The discipline of loving children. Look at uh, this story of when, P, uh, when Paul and his traveling companions meet Timothy. We're told in Lystra that there was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra in Iconium. This is where Paul meets Timothy a younger man, a man who's going to become a child to him in the faith, somebody who's going to become like a son to him, somebody who's going to learn ministry from him. And yet here when they meet, uh, we're told that Timothy uh, had been converted along with his mother there at the church in Lystra. His mother, we know, was a Jewish convert uh, to Christianity We believe that she was a widow who was raising Timothy as a single mom. Part of that comes from the verb tense that's used here when it says that his father was a Greek. Uh, It's a tense that that leads us, not entirely speculatively, to, and plus his his mother's mentioned often, his father's never mentioned, that uh, this was a single woman, a single mom, raising her son, having both converted likely about five years ago when Paul first came through the region. And now raising her son in the church. And raising her son in such a way in the church that when Paul gets there, we learn that the brothers, the other people in the church, spoke highly of this boy, Timothy. So get this, that he was being raised up in the church and he was well known by the other men in the church enough that when Paul came through, they could say, hey, you've got to meet Timothy. This, this, this young guy has some gifts, he has some ability, we think you ought to consider taking him with you, right? So this is a woman in need of family. Remember how often in the scriptures we're called to remember the widow and the orphan, right? This was a woman in need of family who found in the church that family. This was a boy in need of a father who found in the church a group of men and women to love him like family. Children and the care of children, living life with children, being with children, loving children and raising children is not accidental to the life of the church. It's not a ministry that goes on uh, on the periphery of a church's life. I think sometimes we think that way. We think, you know what, what's really, what really matters is what goes on in the chapel at 10.30, right? We ignore, uh, or we think, you know what, the, the care of children, whether it's teaching in their classes, serving in their youth ministry, uh, whatever other things goes on with children, you know what, what we're really after is the parents. And so we need to offer child care, right? If we're going to reach families, we need to have something for their kids to do. And yet the image that we get here of the early church, it's not, the, I mean, thank God, How different might the history of the church have been if these believers in Lystra had said, you know what, we really care about ministering to Timothy's mom, and we're going to send him out here to color and eat goldfish. (laughs) 
right? That No, the, 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 the call was, here's a woman and her son, and they will, they will be a part of us. She will be our sister. He will be our son. We will raise him up in this family. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 19. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Or earlier in Matthew 18, he says this, whoever welcomes a little child welcomes me. Right, you get what he's saying? He's saying uh, when, when his disciples and others are saying, Jesus, don't waste so much of your time with kids. Send them away so we can get to the adult work. He said, no, 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 listen. Whoever receives a little child receives me. Notice what he's saying. He's not saying when you minister to children, when you spend time with children, that you are giving them grace. He's saying when you're with them, you receive grace. When you're with them, you receive from them my very self. You learn something of the posture of what it means to relate as a child to a father, to relate with childlike love and trust. And so we want to recognize as a church that ministry to children isn't something that happens on the periphery, but that it's a core element of Christian mission. And it has been for 2,000 years that raising children within the family of God is a core distinctive of what it means to be on mission with Jesus. Look, Timothy... uh, Timothy converted, we think, at a pretty young age with his mother. He likely, uh, from his earliest memories, knew Jesus as his Savior. And some of you in this church have a Timothy-like story, right, where you grew up within the faith. My own story is very much like that. Later on, uh, next week, we're going to look, when they arrive at Philippi, we're going to see three dramatic conversions, Lydia and the Philippian jailer and this uh, woman with a a spirit of divination that's going to be delivered. We see these kind of dramatic conversions. And oftentimes, those are the kinds of stories that get celebrated, right? We love a good dramatic conversion story, somebody whose life did a 180. But in the eyes of God, there's something precious about a story of someone who looks back on their life and goes, you know what? I never knew a moment of my life where I didn't believe that Jesus loved me. There's never a moment in my life where I didn't know that he died for me. And now, of course, this doesn't minimize the need for each of us, children and adults alike, to at some point uh, wrestle with your own sin and to experience uh, recognizing that God doesn't just love you in a generic sense, but he died for you, sent his son for you, to repent and to believe, right? Just growing up in the church doesn't make you necessarily a saved Christian, but there is something beautiful. I hope that my children don't have a dramatic conversion story. I pray every day (laughs) that they always know today, tomorrow, next week, when they're 18, when they're 25, the church loved me, Jesus loves me, and he's always there for me. We're going to see that children belong to the church every bit as much as their parents. When Lydia believes, her whole household is baptized. When the Philippian jailer believes, his whole household is baptized. 
right? That the children are included in the life of the church, not as a second-class citizen. And so I want to speak just for a minute to our kids. We have some of our younger ones are out right now and getting a lesson in a way that they can probably understand better than this. Amen. (laughs) But listen, kids, you are a part of this church. You are included in this church, and we wouldn't be, we cannot be who God wants us to be as a church without you. Right? You matter to me. You matter to this church. I love you. I not only love you, I actually like you. Uh, You know, you guys are great. We've got some awesome, awesome kids in this church. I remember uh, some of you are young enough that I baptized you. Some of you even got baptized right here. Hey, man, yay. Uh, Some of you uh, were born before COVID, and I got to visit and see you in the hospital. For some of you, I was one of the first people, other than your mom and dad and maybe some grandparents that got to see you. Maybe we'll do that again someday. Right, some of you, you know, there are churches with bigger and cooler children's ministries. I remember going and visiting a church that had a slide into a ball bin right there in their children's ministry. Uh, And you've given something up to be a part of our church with your mom and your dad. But you know what? I love it. I love seeing you guys. I love seeing uh, the Ryan boys doing setup with Kyle uh, every morning for the past seven years, it feels like. Uh, Seeing Stella Barnacle here with her dad doing setup. I remember when we used to meet over in the Wyndham Hotel trying to keep some of you from uh, playing in broken glass uh, because the hotel was not great Um, and working to do that. I remember uh, when we moved in here and watching some of y'all, I remember watching the Skinner boys wrestle with my boys in and out of the the chairs while we tried to keep you from doing that. I remember when Reagan realized she could climb uh, to the top of that pole. And though I agreed with your mom when she asked you to stop, I thought it was pretty cool. I remember uh, when my own son, Hart, uh, when he was sent to, uh, when he was about a pre-kindergartner, sent to the nursery and told the nursery worker he was hungry and that she should order a pizza uh, for him. Because being the pastor's kid has to come with a few perks along the way. More than that, I've loved seeing the friendships that have been birthed between uh, you guys, our kids, and some of our adult members. Right? I love uh, seeing Gloria and Karis come down and take communion together and then them putting on a play for us out at the bonfire. Y'all remember <laughs> Gloria and Karis's play? More than that, I remember my, probably my favorite thing to do with you guys is when I, the, the chances I've gotten to sit with y'all uh, when you tell me who Jesus is to you and how you've come to a place where you want to start taking communion because you realize that as wonderful as you are and as much as I love you, you're a sinner who needs Jesus and you tell me about who he is and what he means to you and then I get to pray with you and then serve you communion. I've loved that. I've sat with some of you. I remember sitting with somebody uh, when they had, went through his first breakup, looking him in his eye and telling him, you are not who a ninth grade girl tells you you are. Yeah. Praise Jesus. Yeah. You belong to Jesus and it's going to be okay, right? It's going to be all right. And so, kids, you matter. You matter to me. You matter to this church. Please uh, know, no matter how hard life gets, if it gets hard one day and you wonder if God really loves you or if he's really there for you, remember that you are loved by your church and you are loved by Jesus and will always be there for you. Now, adults, I know that sometimes uh, us asking for volunteers in the children's ministry becomes white noise. 
right? It's death taxes and Dave asking people to volunteer in the children's ministry. <laughs> I just want to, I want to be unambiguous for a moment. If you're a member of this church, I expect you to care about the children of this church. You notice if you read the, spirit, the, the spiritual gifts inventories that Paul gives in the various places in the Bible, did you know that children's ministry isn't one of the gifts? That means that we're not sitting around waiting for God to send us people who feel Holy Spirit empowered to teach a children's ministry class. We are looking for people who are willing to say, I will be a part of a family that loves and takes care of children that doesn't consider the children second-class citizens. I'm going to give of my time, of my effort, of my love to invest in the children of the church. Now, it doesn't doesn't look the same for everybody, right? Everybody's going to find their different place. But what it does mean is that one of the options available to you isn't, I just signed up for the adult church, right? We're we're not, um, you know, there... (laughs) If you want to be with only adults, there's a community down in Central Florida called The Villages. Have you heard about this? It's a place where people can go and there are no children. They're not allowed to live there. You can't live there if you're under 18. If you go there, you can escape from paying taxes uh, that go to support a school system because there are no schools. The church is not meant to be The Villages. The church is not meant to be uh, an adults-only club but a place where we together take up the task of raising our children together, of teaching them Jesus together. My kids need adults who love Jesus and who aren't their dad and who aren't their mom. And so let me invite you to believe the promise of Jesus when he says it. When he says, whoever receives one of these little children receives me. You know, there's all kind of metrics that you can look at uh, to discern the health of a church. We look at attendance, we look at giving, those kind of things. And you know what? God has always taken really good care of our church. You guys have been tremendously generous with your money. I never have stressed too much over attendance, except for during COVID when, you know, nobody was attending. But I think we ought to look as a measure of the maturity of our church at the day when we have to turn away children's workers because all of the slots are full. You know what? Actually, here there's a waiting list uh, to change diapers because everybody just can't wait to be with the little ones. Let's pray that Jesus makes us into a community that loves and sacrifices for our children. You know what? The, the, the people who discipled Timothy, the men and women and, and people that were in his life, they raised a, a pastor missionary who became one of the pillars of the early church. And none of the goldfish or flannel graphs or whatever they did back then for him ever would have been wasted. They would have looked at what they had done as a family to send this young man out into the world. Is their participation not only in children's ministry, but in in the spread of the kingdom around the world. So, one of the easily overlooked disciplines of mission is loving children. Secondly, a a mark easily overlooked of mission is discerning the will of God. Paul, we're told here, had plans for where he was going to go. Did you notice that? Uh, First, he wanted to go to Phrygia and Galatia, so wanting to go up north into Asia. And we're told that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so then, he thought he would go east 
into Mysia and into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. And so, he'd already been south. He was coming from Jerusalem. He's told he couldn't go east. He couldn't go northwest. So what did he do? He goes, okay, I guess we're going west. And so he goes to Troas, which is a, a port city on the Aegean Sea. And so Paul had a vision. He had a plan for what he was going to be doing. And the Holy Spirit directed him in a different direction. And then he went a different direction, and the Spirit directed him back in another direction still. Remember what we said, this isn't our mission, it's God's mission. That to join the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in opposing the darkness and in spreading the kingdom. We're not... We're not the inventors of the mission. We don't set the agenda for the mission. We look for the activity of God and we follow God on his mission. Now, I would like to know more about what it means that the Holy Spirit blocked Paul and that the Holy Spirit would not let Paul go. But he doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us maybe he had a feeling in his gut that this wasn't the direction he should go. Maybe he had a vision, right? We know later he's going to have a vision. Maybe he had a vision. It could have been as simple as the road was closed, right? God, God could have directed him through providence. He could have directed him through the opposition that they faced in many places. Some cities were closed to Paul because uh, the Jewish community there was opposed to letting them do their mission. Paul doesn't tell us how the Spirit directed him. But what he does say absolutely clearly is that it was God who did it. It was God who told him, no, not here, no, not there. And then finally, God that told him, yes, go here instead. So we don't know the way that the Spirit guided Paul, but what we do know is that Paul's eyes were alive and open to the presence of God in his life, enough that whatever happened, he knew that it was God's Spirit. He, he saw it enough that he didn't just say, well, the road was closed to the east, so we couldn't go there, and it was snowy to the north, so we couldn't go there, so we went this way. He says, no, no, the Spirit blocked us. The Spirit did this. There's something uh, almost embarrassing to us as modern people to talk that way about our lives, isn't there? It can feel almost embarrassing to say, you know what, I didn't get this job because God directed me to another job. Or I didn't do this thing because the Holy Spirit picked me up and moved me in a different direction. As modern people, we're slow to recognize the divine presence in our everyday lives. Him here moving in and with us. Now, we're not only modern people, uh, we're also Presbyterians, which makes it extra difficult sometimes. To think that God's activity in our lives isn't just limited to the cross, not just limited to the great acts of redemptive history, but that he still moves and acts in our lives. Paul uh, reminds us here that we live in a world that's inundated by God, a world and a life that's full of his spirit, and that if this is God's mission, he goes with us, right? Remember what Jesus said. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I wish you luck. I'll be up in heaven. No, what does he say? I will be with you. I am going with you. I'm going before you. I'm going alongside you until the end of the age. 
that when we line our lives up with the mission of God, we find his presence working in and through us. Paul reminds us that God is the actual subject of active verbs in our lives, right? God does things to move us, to shape us, and to direct us. Interestingly, Paul gets two no's before he gets a yes. He, he has to keep going saying, no, not this, no, not that. You hold out. We don't know how long. He just camped out in Troas, waiting for this vision that then did come where the Macedonian man says, come and help us. And he said, okay, I guess Macedonia, Greece. God tells him no, and then ultimately God moves him in a certain direction. Mission is always this way, holding our own plans loosely to follow Jesus. You know, some of the great examples in in the world history of missions has been uh, men and women who thought they were going one place and ended up getting called somewhere else. It's fascinating. David Livingston, the great uh, missionary to Africa, thought he was going to China before God closed that door. William Carey, the father of the modern missions movement before that, had planned to go to Polynesia, to the South Seas, Hawaii and Fiji. That sounds really nice, except for I think then it was filled with people who would kill you. He thought he would go there, but God ended up sending him to India where he was a part of starting the India mission. Adoniram Judson wanted to go to India, but he was sent to Burma and began the church in the modern era there. Throughout, God has advanced his kingdom through his constraining providence, telling no, and his releasing, sending people certain places. I look at the history of this church, right? We mentioned earlier starting out meeting in the Wyndham Hotel on the South Bank. And I mentioned the broken glass earlier. There were other reasons why that didn't work as a long-term home for us. And so we started looking again at where God might send us. And certain doors closed, buildings that we thought were going to be great, and then this one opened. And think about how different our church is because we meet here and not in a hotel. Think about how God has used uh, his providence, his opening and shutting of doors to shape our mission, to shape how we think about why we're here and what we're doing, how he's taught us through our being. As a church, we practice discernment together. Right, another way that we discern the will of God is we just went through that period of officer, you know, deacon, uh, elder, and deaconess nominations and training and all that. That's a a process of communal discernment, right? It's not just Dave picking his favorite people or the elders picking their buddies. It's It's a communal discernment process that says, Holy Spirit, who have you gifted? Who have you called to do this work? We engage in discernment together. And then the final kind of often overlooked little corner of Christian mission is this call to incarnational ministry. Look, it is uh, objectively wild that in Acts 16, Paul circumcises Timothy. Right? If you were here last week, you remember that at the Jerusalem Council, the main takeaway was you don't have to be circumcised in order to become a member of the church. And before the ink is dry on the letter that they wrote, Paul's out here circumcising Timothy. And you go, Paul, what gives? You fought for the fact that the Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised. And yet here you are doing it. Well, the principle at work is this. Once Paul knew, once he had established the fact that you don't have to be circumcised, you don't have to be a keeper of Israel's law, 
to become a member of the church, to belong to God, that you're saved and you're admitted into the fellowship of the believers purely by faith, by grace through faith. Then he felt a freedom with Timothy to say, you know what, buddy? Bad news. (laughs) You're called to be a missionary with me. We believe that. You're called into mission, but we're about to go into a bunch of Jewish communities where everybody is going to be circumcised, where everybody is going to know that your, da- your mom was Jewish, your dad was Greek, and they chose for whatever reason not to circumcise you as a member of the covenant people. Listen, for the, for the sake of identifying with the people that you're called to reach, I'm going to ask you to be circumcised so that something that might be a barrier between you and your audience might get torn down so that you can gain a hearing with these people. I had to go to seminary and study for ordination exams, but I did, I did not have to do that before coming, becoming a pastor. But Timothy, but for Timothy, it was, this is what it's going to be. Because the principle there is that we ought to seek to remove every barrier that might separate us from the people that we're called to serve and to reach. That as Jesus took on flesh to become like us, to be known by us, to show us who God is, We're called to step into the world of the people that we hope to reach with the gospel, right? That it's not enough just to stand at a distance and throw Bible tracts at people. It's not enough to just take a megaphone and preach at people. But the principle here is that the Christian mission happens as we take their way of life onto ourselves, as we come into life-on-life contact and identify with the people we feel called to. Paul did this. He tells us in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, so to the pagan Gentiles, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. And now he he invites Timothy to do what he's done, to become like a Jew to reach the Jewish population. This incarnational movement of ministry to take onto ourselves the concerns and cares of our neighbors is as true for us as it was for Paul and Timothy. Not just to be a church at a distance from the world, but to enter into the world, to love the world, to learn to speak the language of our neighbors, to tell our stories in a way that can be understood, to make their problems our problems, to let the things that keep them up at night keep us up at night. I remember uh, the first place that I learned this dynamic of ministry was early on in my life as a college student, I went to work for Young Life uh, for a little while. We have some Young Life staff that are members of this church, Ed Ross. And one of the things that that they train you to do with Young Life is how as an adult uh, to go into incarnationally, so enter into the world of a high school student and build a friendship. And I remember the abject terror that I felt walking onto a high school campus into the lunchroom and remembering like it felt like I was 15 again, of like that, oh no, who am I going to sit with? Where are the cool kids? Do I know anybody? 
I guess I'll go get a drink so I have something to hold and do and look and hopefully somebody will know me and invite me. And Although now it's extra weird because now it's not just who's the new kid. It's now why is there an adult with a beard hanging out in our lunchroom? But the idea was, look, if we're going to reach high schoolers, we need to enter a high school. We need to, to, to get to know kids. Ed, bless his heart, still does that, walks into Riverside High School on a regular basis and strikes up conversations with high school kids for the sake of Jesus. And that principle still is what leads us to walk across the street to get to know your neighbor, to open your home for a Super Bowl party, to, uh, to have the, uh, your friend who's out of work over and to commiserate with them, to, to listen to the stories of heartbreak uh, from your neighbor who's been in and out of every relationship, to love uh, the cousin who comes to Thanksgiving dinner and just wants to argue politics. Uh, you know, all of the people in our lives that, can, that we, we might have trouble identifying with, to say, no, I'm going to enter into your world. I'm not just going to tell you who Jesus is. I'm going to show you in my life. So you might notice that each of these disciplines, loving children, discerning the will of God, and taking on incarnational love, each one of them is an invitation for us as a church to participate in the life of Jesus. Right? This is Jesus' life. Jesus lived a life of welcoming children, the least and the littlest. Jesus lived a life of discerning his Father's will step by step. He lived a life of saying, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Listening to his Father's voice, and he lived a life of incarnational love, moving towards the men, women, and children of his world with compassion and love and empathy. So to take up these practices is to say, Jesus, make us more like yourself. Make us more loving. Help us to be better listeners. Help us to love our neighbors. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you've called us to share in your ministry, uh, to, to take on to ourselves your mission. Lord, we thank you that it's not uh, our mission. Uh, Lord, that we get to join you in the work that you're doing to renew your creation, to reconcile your world back to yourself. Lord Jesus, help us to be good stewards of that mission both the inner mission of loving our children, raising them in this family of faith, and the outer mission of loving our neighbors and giving our lives to them and giving the good news, the hope of the gospel to them. Lord, we pray that you would shape us, help us to minister your grace in these hidden ways. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Christ Church in town, please visit our website at ChristChurchInTown.org.